Hi, my name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Welcome to the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, Stephen King Retrospective. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Join Garrett. It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. Matt. I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. And Adam. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. As they continue their journey through King's Night Shift collection of short stories with reviews of the two Trucks film adaptations. Spend some time in the dark. All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. I'm going to scare the hell out of you, and that's a promise. Trucks. It aired on October 29th, 1997, and this was directed by Chris Thompson. So, Maximum Overdrive, we discussed that last week. A bunch of people in Canada got together and decided, you know what, we can do that better. And we get Trucks 11 years later. Goudreau, what were you expecting after last week's Oh, me and you kind of liked it in a campy kind of way. What were you expecting when uh, you turned trucks on? I'm assuming you never saw it. I was expecting next to nothing because I I was not even aware of this thing's existence until you, what's the word, you you put me into gear and forced me to drive (laughs) and put this on the schedule because for all intentions, if Adam and I had our say, well, Adam would probably not be doing Stephen King to begin with, but more importantly, I don't think this would have been one of the ones where I said and strongly advocated for completionism because I always think TV movies are kind of a, it's a difficult line for us to cross considering we don't really cover television in the capacity we do movies. But let's be honest, there's something to be said for doing every single thing and more importantly, taking a second stab or I guess a back road in this case, of doing previously adapted material with Stephen King. Although the last time we did that, you made me watch four and a half hours of The Shining, which was made for television. (laughs) So I said to myself, when I watched this, luckily it was streaming for free on, I don't even know what platform I watched it on. Yeah, Tubi, that's what it was. I said, as long as it's not The Shining, I I think the bar has been lowered so much, and Lord knows I've seen... Plenty of other Stephen King on television to know that uh, most of them aren't especially great, even if you haven't seen them. So I was not excited to watch this, and I was like, oh, thank Christ, it's only 90 minutes. Adam, as the non-fan, and especially as a non-fan of last week's film, I didn't think you would get through that podcast. What were you thinking when you sat down to watch Canada's contribution to the Stephen King lore with trucks? I wanted to put the emergency brake on, and unfortunately, I found myself run over and uh, decided, (laughs) told them we needed to do this one as well. I had no expectations. I had heard so much about Maximum Overdrive, and clearly my experience was not a fun one for me. So going into this one, I figure, okay, you know, you're going to rehash the story, you're going to do it in a TV movie. I didn't think it would be something like The Shining, where I actually am the one of us that enjoyed that miniseries, because this wasn't a miniseries, so I was just hoping to get through it. <laughs> that's about all that I had. 90 minutes, free on Tubi, so to be fair, I gave it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> My God. Well, as the massive Stephen King fan, 
I have to say, the only way I knew about this one was because, as Adam remembers, I used to work at a video store, and we got a shipment of these in, and it said on the in big letters on the front of that box, Stephen King's trucks. I said, hmm, this is interesting. So I took it home, This and this was released on video, I believe it was 98. Took it home, watched it, and I had not watched it again until this podcast, if that tells you anything. But you know what? We have good people behind the scenes here. We have one of the writers of Poltergeist 3, if that makes hey, anybody. And V. And V, yes, he was a big, big con- <laughs> contributor to V. You know, my expectations were like, look, last week's film, as me and Matt illustrated, we had a little bit of fun with that. Is there a way we could do that story except better? And my fear going in was, okay, last week's movie, the fun that was behind that movie was because of behind the scenes. We had a coked out director telling these actors what to do. My fear was we're going to take this dead serious and you don't take a movie about sentient trucks dead serious. Spoiler alert, that's exactly what they did. All right, well, I have nothing else to really say about the behind the scenes of this, boys. What do you say we just go ahead and dive into this plot and get through it? <laughs> you know, let's just keep driving until the car breaks down. Cause All right. So we get a total recall-type musical beat to open up and then cut to a downtrodden score with a look at a truck getting ready to attack, complete with a view inside the truck. So we know it's sentient and doing it by itself. And one thing this movie does do differently than last week, and whether it's better is up to you, but... The fact that we think at this point, and we'll talk later, but we think at this point, it's just like the story where it's limited to just trucks. It narrows down the rules, unlike King, who had everything from a soda machine to a kitchen knife on the attack. So at this point, I gotta say, I was kind of with this. I was kind of thinking I this was looking kind of promising. What were you guys thinking towards the beginning of this? I'll give it a minor compliment for being, I guess, truer to the story for 99% of it. And then there's 1% of, I don't even know what to call it when we get to it. But the problem is, well, let me, let me start with the good and start and then go to the bad. Because I think I'm going to have more bad things to say not to show my hand. Is that the movie do- itself does not give a definitive answer as to what's happening like Maximum Overdrive does with that opening Star Wars crawl that they contradict with the closing crawl. This one, it's only explained in the way characters theorize what's happening or give their own hypothesis. To me, that makes it more effective. But the problem is, this opening scene, by playing its hand this early, there is no suspense at all. Because we see the truck move, we see it clear as day. So there is no surprise to be had, and there's really no... If they were going for horror, this is about as scary as, I don't know, broad daylight, if you ask me. I thought this opening scene, immediately, I'm like, alright, it's more faithful, but you can also tell it's a TV production, because I think 90% of their budget went to getting the trucks themselves and for mannequins to be hit on camera. I didn't have a non-fan of last week. This truck kind of goes by. We're seeing it sent to it. What were you thinking at this point? I'm thinking, you know, I'm surprised they were actually starting off with something that looks as good as it does. I was I was a little shocked by that. I know it's, you know, late 80s or late 90s, mid-90s when they're producing it. But as I'm watching it, I'm like, huh, the colors are right. It's in focus. It's lit. It actually doesn't look bad at all. In fact, I think it looks better than the movie we just discussed. And I was shocked by that. Man, if there was a battle of movies versus TV, you would pick TV every single time, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't want I guess to. we'll find out during this pot, during this series, won't we? So, <laughs> the truck takes off and crashes through an office and then drives away. 
We then cut to a character named Hope, and she tells Ray, played by Timothy Busfield and his son Logan, that she's going to be out of town and she needs her store watched. Now, Timothy Busfield, this was a guy who, I remember he was on a few episodes of Family Ties. I remember him growing up on Family Ties. And, he, of course, his big thing was 30-something, which was right before this TV movie. He never really had a movie career, and I think this movie kind of illustrates why. It surprising to see, but it was kind of clear right off the bat that, as you said, this was going to be played much more serious. We discussed with our year-end show, you know, about a level of campiness and things like that and where that line is, and they've just decided not to have this line in this movie. So it's clear that it's just going to be a more straightforward take on what's going on. But with it, the acting and stuff, I'm going along with them better in this one here than I did in Maximum Overdrive. They're TV actors, but I'm liking the performances more. At least as we start. Wow. I have my hands on my head listening to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the West Wing's my favorite show, and Timothy Busfeld was a pretty prominent character on that, so I have some I didn't perspective know he was on that show. Wow. Yeah, he was the um, the senior White House correspondent huh. for the Washington Post. Yeah, he was on pretty much every season except for three and six. So it was a he wasn't one of the main characters, but he was pretty prominent. I get the sense that th- this is. His performance reminds me so much of, like, Paul Giamatti, where he just looks so... He's angry all the time. He's frustrated. Probably needs a drink. <laughs> I, I think he's okay. But the problem I have with all of these characters is twofold. Number one, they are straight out of the slasher playbook, where they are as oh, yeah. broad, in the case, some rednecky to a fault. This teenage girl that we're going to meet later, I wanted to just leave on the side of the road and never see her again. And the kid was I sat there going, why does this kid look familiar? And I was looking through my brain. He was one of the main characters in Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I also know him from most of Uwe Boll's work. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've watched those. And he was in Violet Night, which I finally saw. Nice. He was the Krampus henchman. Yep. So I was like, okay, this, again, I guess this kid had a shitty agent from the start. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> At least the truck stop, this town looks a lot more run down and minuscule compared to Maximum Overdrive because you see a Maximum Overdrive is a big overpass with dozens of cars. This town feels a lot more deserted, so at least I would buy them following the government's suggestion to stay secluded and inside, and it looks deserted, so props to them, I guess. I, I'm fucking driving on the side of the road digging up compliments as part of the <laughs> We're not even eight minutes in. So, as Matt was saying, we go inside the truck stop, and life inside this one definitely doesn't seem as zany as last time. But I gotta say, you know, without the campy trash of last time, I'm certainly not having any fun here. That was kind of part of the fun of last time, was seeing just the characters inside here. There's no real fun characters here. Adam, were you having any fun at this point? I don't know if fun is the right word, but I'm not upset at the film like I was last week. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm not angry at it. I'm actually able to go with this better than I have at some overdrive. These are characters that I'm like, okay, I can follow this person. I can follow that person. I agree with Matt completely that they're very broad archetypes. And yet that teenage girl is, I think, down the hallway from me right now, locked in her room. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I'm like, yeah, I can go along maybe with just the simple way that this story is getting told. Maybe it's because this one at least feels like someone's trying to adapt the book as opposed to do a wacky take on the book, but I'm going with these people more. If you give this a higher score than last week, 
It, it's kind of hard eat. for him not to, based on That's how low he went last time. I mean, you're not you're not wrong. So the truck gears for battle as Hope gets hit on by a trucker outside the truck stop. And then we're meeting more people as Abby, Thad, and Jack, they get off the bus for a lunar expedition that Hope is doing. This was a big thing in the 90s. I got to say, you know, with X-Files and everything around the mid to late 90s, this was a huge thing. I remember I had a girlfriend who was obsessed with this. And Adam, you remember that girl. Um, Mm -hmm. This is definitely something that was big in the late 80s. I had to keep, and I kept blinking out for 10 seconds at a time, every time. I kept having to go, why are all these people showing up? Wait, wait, why Why are these people showing up? And I drift off again. God damn it, wait, no. What's, like, I have the note. What are these people here for? <laughs> uh, I mean, well, that's not in the notes you had last week where it's just like, stuff happens. Stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, it's a random occurrence, but with what they're here for, then based on what it's supposed to be going on and the Area 51 stuff that's going to get discussed, yeah, it's a very X-Files-y type of excuse for, for why they're showing up. You call it X-Files, it's more like exposition, because these characters <laughs> spend two minutes in a car divulging their entire life stories to complete strangers and espousing information that no sane person would put out there in the public. It is shorthand screenwriting at its absolute worst, and it doesn't adhere me to any of these characters. It just makes me dislike them more. More than last week's. I think I hate almost everybody in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. That's what I was getting at. We see another truck come alive as its driver is driving it. He gets out and checks around it before getting locked in its freezer. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to the Lunar Expedition, and another thing established is less yelling. But to me, again, these characters aren't less annoying, as Matt has illustrated throughout the course of the beginning of this review. And we're seeing Thad deny the existence of Area 51, as well as Logan. He's uncovering a motorcycle. Adam, is any of this drawing you in? It sounds like it's drawing you in more than last week. It's drawing me in more than last time. I mean, it's every time that Area 51 is brought up and the constipated look that gets passed around, you know, know, I'm waiting for it to go somewhere. I can't say that I like the characters, but I'm at least going, okay, this is following just a straight line. This is going down a highway that does not branch and does not curve and does not move. So you could just put this in neutral, give it a push, and it's not going to go fast, but it's just going straight down the road. This is the Route 66 of movies, where it's nothing to look at, it's not interesting, and it feels like it goes (laughs) on longer than it actually is. That's called Nevada, which is where this takes place. (laughs) (laughs) And I can say that because I live here. Hope drives by the truck that contains the driver trapped inside and then goes on about her expedition before running and stopping in another truck in the middle of the road as the one containing the driver takes off. I like that these trucks actually kind of set up almost like a little roadblock. There's a little more going on here to to start getting some people in than we had before. Matt, I cannot believe how many compliments Adam has already put upon this film. I already gave more than last. If we weren't taping another show after this, I'd be getting fucking trashed on this side. (laughs) Well, that's why I got the Woodford Cokes ready, dude. Because I'm not working tonight, so these Woodford Cokes are coming in fast. (laughs) The cigar I'm working on is going to be gone in about... Oh, my God, Adam, i got to say, I'm kind of shocked. But that's why I love having you on, sir. Jack's taking pictures instead of helping Thad as the other truck attacks them. And then Hope goes to call the sheriff, but the truck won't let her. And she asks if anybody is driving it. Well, of course not, honey. 
Logan and Ray, they get into it again about whether Logan can have a motorcycle, as Logan tells Ray that he's not the only one who misses his mom. Ouch. This father-son dynamic. You know, I don't know what they were going for here, but goddamn, this kid and this dad just really get into it throughout the course of this film. This is a Stephen King trope in and of itself. Absolutely. Typically, there might be a parent that is dead or distant, and oftentimes it's about kids who have tumultuous relationships with their parents. They carry a shining to a certain degree. This is nothing new. And it, it, there's a certain part of this movie that feels outdated for 1997. And I'm not talking about budgetary limitations or anything like that. Just the, the way that this story is told. You know, if, you, if you're going to go this low-key, make this set in, like, the 70s. And, and don't have to worry about modern... Because the problem with this movie also is it dates horribly with those giant cell phones... Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that they do and some of the dialogue, like like the teenage daughter is straight out of freaking Clueless and all those those 90s movies. I'm not having fun yet. I'd be the kid in the backseat saying, are we there yet? <laughs> well, Matt, let's, re- let's remind people, you know, we talked about it last week, but we're the two who have read the story on this podcast. And the story takes place at that truck stop. And that's pretty much it. We're branching out in this movie because obviously that story is 16 pages. If you're due to, if you're going to do a movie based on that story, it would be 16 minutes long. I don't think anything they're adding here is adding anything to the dimensions that was outlined in that story. Now that story is not one of his best written stories, and we said that last week. It takes place in that truck stop, and it's pretty much Night of Living Dead with trucks. So Matt, do you agree with the idea of kind of expanding it a little bit, even if it's this bad? No, I, I don't think this is a story that garners a longer runtime. If you wanted to make this like a an extended episode of Tales from the Crypt where that's 30 minutes or what have you, I think it works better because there, there's only, if you're going to keep it in the truck stop, which once everyone gets there is basically what happens. Mm-hmm. The character set up when she picks them all up off the bus, that's really the only exterior shot, except there's two scenes, there's three scenes coming up that just come out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. There's a reason people. for that. There's a reason for that. Uh, we'll talk about it. Okay, well, I'm curious about that, but I don't think they do a good job of either, A, expanding the story, but it begs the question of, is this story really worth expanding upon whatsoever? I would have made this, like, if they were going to do another Cat's Eye, you make this one of the stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you would have called it. Other Cat's Eye, Cat's Tail. I guess I'd call it Cat Shit, because that's how I feel about this product. We're only on the second story. So we cut to two more people who are here for the expedition, as Hope shakes while calling Ray... The expedition, they argue over whether anyone was actually driving the trucks that attacked them. As Ray gets out of the way of what I'm guessing is the main truck of this story, although it's not as interesting without the Green Goblin mask on it. No, but you know what it is? It's actually menacing this time. Wow, really? Yes! I didn't feel like any of the vehicles last time held any sort of menace whatsoever, and I'm actually getting that they do this time. Interesting. Hmm. How do you feel about hazmat suits? I guess we'll get there. Um, oh, that's, a note later. that's a note later. <laughs> Abby gets angry at the fact that she's there and lets Jack and Thad know about this, but Jack just recommends meditation. We cut to a non-sentient pinball machine as the couple talk about rural food and how they ended up there in the first place. Here's the couple that we had last time, although not as annoying as Lisa Simpson here. And then another truck attacks its driver as it crashes into the town's power line. Ray sees this and calls the truck stop, but Logan can't hear him. And then June and Brad, who are the couple this time, they don't notice a truck coming after them as they find a spot to fuck. And the people at the truck stop are noticing trucks without a driver, and they're all starting to surround the place. So we have the couple here, 
Adam, are you in agreement? This is less annoying than last week, right? This couple? Oh, they're dramatically less annoying, yeah. And Matt, you don't care about these two, correct? They're less annoying, but that's not an amicable point of comparison. A one-legged man could jump over that hurdle. Sorry, everybody. I'm fucking mad I wasted my time with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till we get to the Children of the Corn film, sir. Hope finds a body as Ray shows up, and Hope tells him that she's scared to death. And then an orange truck, it shows up to the party as there's an update on TV of the sheriff telling people to make sure that they have plenty of water and to just hang on. So now we're seeing things from the outside point of view. You know, we're seeing news reports and things, which we didn't see last time. Here's the big problem. Go. This gas leak that they talk about. It has no bearing on the rest of the movie. It does not affect their current predicament. If you are going to include this, you talk about how you have to stay inside because the air is toxic. But the parallels and the connections are never made. And as it stands, it feels entirely superfluous and tacked on. The expedition crew, they're attacked by the orange truck. As June and Brad, they emerge from their fuck spot and get attacked as well. We're seeing two hazmat workers who were sent to clean the chemical spill as a postal worker is attacked by a remote control truck. <laughs> this is... It's a toy truck. It's one. This little toy truck is vicious, violent, and has the bloodiest scene out of these two movies. It does. Yeah, and by the way, the stuff they use for the blood in this movie, I think I put on my peanut butter and jelly sandwich earlier today. That's number one. <laughs> number two, this was a scene added... Obviously, we mentioned before this, right at the beginning of this podcast that this was made for TV. Well, this was added for the home video release because they want more violent scenes when it gets released on home video. So they added this for that release. My God, people out there, if you see one scene from this movie, go to YouTube. This scene is in that, is on YouTube. It is phenomenal. I just love that they give this little guy a slow motion jump through a window. <laughs> it hits this guy's ankle twice and then drives into his face repeatedly. One of the most at comedic least, deaths I have ever seen. And I just love least, all the gore that the truck accumulates as it's destroying the former Adam profession of mailman. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it leaves viscera in its wake, and I can't believe that. <laughs> Matt, were you having fun with this scene? Yes, I will say this was worth the 90 minutes of pain I had to sit through, this little, <laughs> this little reprieve, because it is so... A stark contrast to everything else in this movie, where it is played straight, the rest of this movie. But this feels like something that you would have seen in Maximum Overdrive. But also, you also point out the truck goes to the extra effort of getting two other cars to jump over in order to break the glass. And this thing has enough force to apparently shatter this mailman's ankle. Which, if any of you have owned those toy trucks when you were kids, they pinch you when they hit you. But I don't know if it's enough to dislocate your goddamn ankle. And this guy doesn't try to crawl away. This is one of the great over-the-top movie deaths in stuff like you would... This is something I would watch in a canon movie. I greatly enjoyed it, and I wish the rest of the movie was like this. Like I said, this was added last second. And you're right. It is a total contrast. And not to mention what they're doing here is they're breaking their own rules. They're saying that, look, yeah, all the trucks are sentient, but also we also have this remote control truck. It's also sentient. What are the rules here? And that was a big problem I had last week. But I guess when you're trying to add scenes of gore, and that's what exactly what these people were doing with this scene, all bets are off, apparently. But again, as you guys are saying, it is worth checking out because it is fucking amazing. <sighs> So the trucks outside, they're in full force as they surround the truck stop. And then 
we have a lot of exposition, as Jack says, that they're just trying to make an impression. Ray writes up a sign that says, stay there. Okay, so here we go. We're inside the truck stop. Abby tries bumming a cigarette off June as Jack gives his theory about the comet shower releasing chemicals that sent signals and interferes with radio waves. And this is all what makes the trucks go crazy. Here we go with the inside the truck stop talk. I don't know. Is this adding anything for you, Adam? It's adding length to the time of the movie. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling if you can call it fleshing out some of these people a little bit, no. I thought we were going to get more of an answer that we were actually going to be told that it was the aliens hiding behind the cloud for sure. You know, so I thought we were going to uncover that as we went along, you know, especially with all that Area 51 talk. So when that doesn't fully get resolved, I get extremely disappointed in it all. I thought with all the discussion and questions about Area 51, I thought that's where the third act of the movie was actually going to take place because they talk about it incessantly. Right, yeah. I thought for sure, like, we were going to get actual aliens, but either they ran out of money and couldn't afford aliens. We had a scene where someone was killed by a toy Tonka truck. I don't think revealing that aliens would have come out would have been the most shocking thing on the planet. More theories about Area 51 are thrown out there. As you guys mentioned, a lot of Area 51 references. That is threatened as the runner of the stop pulls out a shotgun. Here we go. So we're getting more of this shotgun play that we had last time. Ray just absolutely loses it in a piece of acting that displays why Busfield didn't do much past 80s, the 80s and 90s. <laughs> I'm assuming, Adam, that at this point you're more with this character than you were with any Emilio Estevez last week. Yeah, I didn't care for Emilio at all last time, really. So, yeah, I'm following him definitely more. I'm kind of, of anything that I'm pulled in, or if you want to call it that, I'm down with following Hope around. Of anything, attractive, it's part of the story that I want to follow. But, yeah, being that I cared for none of the actors last time, none of the characters last time, to say that I'm enjoying them more isn't saying much, but it's it's true. I wish I could follow her into Under Siege 2, because that's the other thing I know her from. <laughs> I also end up in Hot Shots uh, Part 2. She plays yeah, that's a, that was her big thing was Hot Shots Part 2. Yeah, because they do the basic instinct parody. Mm-hmm. So, at least, she's like the most recognizable person in this movie. And I well, mean, when Busfield. You watch... Busfield's recognizable. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I mean, the, the fact that I actually recognized people in this movie surprised me, because I thought this was going to be made with people that got off the street and glorified extras. I can't imagine reading this script and going, oh, I, I need to be in this movie. I guarantee you, because Stephen King's name was attached to it, is the reason why they signed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the other scene of this movie. So... <laughs> The hazmat crew, they find the power line fire as one of the suits somehow inflates and then just takes out the crew in a brutal slang that the RC Tonka truck would be proud of. Another scene added for the home video release. And my God, is this comical to the nth degree. Holy shit. I could not believe they did this. I could not believe they said not only as an RC truck, Tonka truck, sentient but we also have a sentient hazmat suit once again breaking their own rules and it's in the most comedic way possible i gotta say something controversial oh god i'm gonna get so much heat for this we got a snyder cut can we get a vhs editor's cut of trucks because clearly they're the only ones (laughs) who understood the entertainment value that this concept should have. These are the two best scenes in the movie, largely because they're ancillary characters. This plot line is not, like I said earlier, has no bearing on the effect of the movie because they spent a lot of time outdoors, so clearly that toxic gas ain't doing much. And B, 
again, breaking their own rules, but it's so clearly a guy in a suit, even though there's nobody it's supposed to be sentient. And it's a funny little dig at The Shining, because he kills him with an axe. He kills a black man with an axe. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Logan tells Abby that him and his dad are from Detroit, and it was his idea to ro- relocate to rural Nevada. We learn that Brad loves working on cars, but he's actually a salesman. So more exposition between these characters. And Thad points out a pipe that everyone can be safe in if Thad and Ray can distract the trucks enough. He then says that a group of scientists called Project Phoenix took over an extraterrestrial division of NASA, and that might have something to do with what is going on. So we have more theories about what's going on, but again, no real answers here. (laughs) Meanwhile, a truck comes alive and attacks Brad as he's working on it (laughs) in the enclosed garage, and then runs him over. And this sends June into a tailspin, and she starts attacking the trucks herself. And her yelling at this truck is fucking amazing. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. So make sure everyone put your seatbelts on as I expand upon this. Number one, this is my favorite instance of dumb white people syndrome. They know the cars are sentient. So what does this guy choose to do? I'm going to work under the engine to try to get it started so it could run me over at any instant, but I'm going to take that risk. Number two, this is some of the worst sound mixing you will ever see in a movie that we cover on the show not made by canon. Because as she is yelling, it is clearly not synced correctly. They try to get around it by having him grab her and pull her back inside. But it's so poorly, (laughs) parts of the movie are so poorly made, it's almost comical with some of the continuity errors and goofs. Which, to a certain extent, I can excuse because it's it's made for television. Because you got to remember, this is during the heyday of made-for-TV movies. It's not like now where they actually give them pretty substantial budgets. I mean, the ones that you get that aren't streaming. But the third one, and this is the one compliment I'll give, is I like that these trucks actually operate with some degree of intellect. They're almost like the raptors in Jurassic Park where they flood one side of the pipe with exhaust fumes, and then they block off the other side with rocks to basically trap them in there. So I'm like, all right, these trucks are actually doing something menacing, and I thought that was actually pretty clever. Adam, what about you, sir? Are you with it at this point? I am. I'll agree with the Exactly what Matt said there. Don't hate me, Matt. But yeah, I agree with them. It's nice to see the trucks actually doing something and looking like they have a plan as opposed to just driving in circles and waiting for somebody to be stupid like last time. No, because people are just stupid for them in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> but if these trucks could talk, they'd be subtitled, oh, this is too fucking easy. this is all too much for abby as she loses it in front of logan and says that she's going to take a chance and make a run for it but logan objects begging her to stay with him ray notices in an escalated tone that the trucks are communicating with one another through morse code so we're taking that from the last movie meanwhile hope brings ray some pills to help him cope and tries comforting him by saying her condolences about his wife and ray says that he won't let logan die as Hope reveals that she escaped a marriage, and that's how she ended up here. So here we have the two people meant to be together, as we saw from the opening scene, and we're having exposition between the two of these people. Also, domestic abuse against a woman in a relationship. Oh, I've never seen this in Stephen King's property. (laughs) It should be said this is made for the movie, not from the book. Oh, yeah, because that makes it so much better. (laughs) Well, you said we haven't seen it in Stephen King. Stephen King did not write these two. This was written by Brian Taggart. Well, clearly, because this movie really does not whore out Stephen King's name like you would expect, mm-hmm. like they did with The Shining, or basically any of them. Legoliers, Tommyknockers, it, they all emphasize from the world of Stephen King. This one, well, they locked him in the trunk and threw away the keys. Well, they do say his name. I mean, it is Stephen King's trucks. 
on the front cover. So they kind of whore it out, but yeah, this doesn't feel like any of those previous pictures that you mentioned, for sure. It just sticks its leg up on the side of the road. It doesn't show you all the skin. We see Abby and Logan. They make it to the pipe as a dump truck traps them inside. And Matt, this is what you were talking about earlier, that these trucks are actually kind of smarter than last time. And they're smarter than these screenwriters. (laughs) Ray helps Matters by throwing rocks at it. (laughs) And then firing what might as well be BB rounds into another one. Uh, Logan, he reinforces Ray that him and Abby are okay as Ray tries walking him out. He's interrupted by someone with a vendetta with Ray. And this doesn't deter both Logan and Abby from escaping somewhere that they shouldn't have been in the first place. This is just... Oh, my God, just weird shit going on right now. The fact that there's also multiple places for them to hide takes out the bottle element that the movie tries to run with, because it's not just the truck stop. There's the cabins, there's the garage, there's the pipe. Because it's not confined in one location necessarily, you do lose a certain amount of suspense, what little there is. I mean, it's apologies for the car puns, everybody, but it's all I got at this point. It's kind of running on empty. I think the check engine light came on at this point in my internal brain. <laughs> Matt's running on fumes right now. <laughs> Adam, same. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a slasher movie with trucks being the killer. Is it a cabin in the woods or are they in multiple locations? And yeah, I admit, though, by not having them just sitting in a diner waiting, at least more things are happening. And that I can appreciate it. For a quick movie, it's moving it along. Hope says the refrigerator truck seems to be the one calling the shots as the orange one takes out the Welcome to Lunar sign. <laughs> Thad apologizes to Abby for not being a good father as she patches him up. She walks out to Exposition Jack, as I call him, as he warns her not to go far. <laughs> she asks him for a joint, and he says that he's just an old hippie. <sighs> Is this the character you guys hate? <laughs> Is there an all-of-the-above option? <laughs> yeah, which one of his characters do you like least? No, no, no. All on the list. One would I ride shotgun with? I'd uh, leave them all at the bus stop. I need a few more toy trucks just to take them all out in one go. We'll line them all up. Or stomp all of them with a the little toy donkey truck. So they see June pretty much commit suicide by walking in front of a truck. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this cracked me up because there's at least three people that get hit by cars. Yeah. When I see people, I mean mannequins. Yeah. This reminded me so much of, and this goes to show how much I, I actively seek out terrible movies. It's a movie from the 70s called Killdozer, which was also made for television, I believe, where it is, I would say, one of the ten worst movies I've ever seen, but it's filled with nothing but a, a bulldozer driving, and people just scream until it hits them. It reminded me so much of that. It's basically that scene that the first Austin Powers made fun of when he's on that uh, steamroller. Is that the steamroller? Yeah, no, the steamroller, and he runs the guy over, but he's 30 (laughs) feet away, and it takes him forever. I miss bad dummies in movies. Like, I talked about this on Catwoman, where I love when it's so obviously a dummy. Now it's all CG, so it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, this was pretty glorious. (laughs) It's amazing. I'm actually more invested in the deaths and the kill count this time around, so when they're happening, I'm enjoying myself. We see that the trucks are lined up and talking to one another as an escape plan forms. Meanwhile, Bob attacks the trucks with homemade Molotov cocktails. And even though the truck is sentient, its driver gets angry that Bill is attacking it. <laughs> oh, and, and, oh, my God. The, all, um, I can't believe the fucking building exploded. Oh, amazing. <laughs> all this does is piss the truck off and it runs into Bob and one of the film's only big set pieces, an explosion, as you mentioned, Matt. And, yeah, <laughs> this seems to be where all the money went right here. Yep. 
Abby thanks Logan for helping her out of the pipe, which sets up the idea that he'll be laying pipe later on, if you know what I mean, guys. Get it? Hey, yo. <laughs> You'd have to get the step ladder first, because he's pretty short. He is short. Meanwhile, the trucks take out a water pump and the generator as Logan grabs the motorcycle that he was working on earlier. Set up some payoffs, am I right, guys? We saw him set this up earlier. Pretty much. The payphone starts ringing as more Morse code happens. Abby goes out to answer it and is saved by Exposition Jack, of all people. Ray figures out that they want fuel. So we're going to go back to this story point. He goes out in the dead of night and starts filling the trucks up with gas as Thad tells Abby that he'll see her in the first light tomorrow and it'll be the last time that he leaves her. But she says that he's not going without her and hops on the motorcycle. All right, Adam, you know what I thought of? And I say Adam because I don't know how much of a of a Tolkien enthusiast you are. You know when Lord of the Rings where Gandalf says, look, uh, before the sun sets on the third day or whatever the fuck he says? That's mm-hmm. instantly where my brain went to. I thought he was going to show up in the final five minutes and just run over this final truck with, I don't know, a helicopter, a plane, just blow it to shit. Yeah, I thought they were setting... Yeah, I thought they were setting something up, but like a lot of things in this movie, I was left wanting more. It's a good thing we had those scenes with the Tonka truck and the suit because they're like jumper cables. On me, because my battery was hanging off in dear life at this point. <laughs> Adam, what about you, sir? I mean, by this point in maximum overdrive, you were tuned out. What are you, where are you at at this point? I want to see where it's going to go. I want to see how they're going to end it. There's been enough differences that I think they may go a slightly different way with it. So I'm at least wondering how they're going to finish it off. And I'm curious to see what they do. Well, you know what they say, curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> oh, we're going, to, we're going to get to that one, get to Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> George sacrifices himself so everyone can get a head start as Ray shoots the gas pump and they start running up a hill so that the trucks can't follow them. Electrician is somehow still on a power line as he's getting attacked. (laughs) Hope and Ray, they wonder if there's anywhere that's safe anymore and if humans are really the ones in charge. They make it to the top of the hill and are saved by a helicopter. Or are they? A truck Ray thought he'd blown up shows back up and comes after them and ends up in a body of water as they jump on the helicopter. But as Ray goes to the cockpit to thank the pilot, he sees that there is no pilot and hears a voice saying, just hang on, folks, as credits roll on trucks. I will say, this is kind of like the end of the story where they see a helicopter overhead and they kind of feel a sinking suspicion that it's flying by itself. Yeah. This is done more literally, and I could have done without the voice, but I kind of like this ominous ending. So I like how it's almost like phase one by land, phase two by air. So I guess part three, if this ever got a sequel, as I snicker, would have been a haunted cruise ship or something. I thought it was cool. This is very much like a Twilight Zone style of ending. The only problem is, as we had Tales from the Crypt, I wish the Crypt Keeper showed up and ended this movie with a pun, because quite frankly, it would have got some brownie points for me at least. Yeah, I think what I like about the ending is that it's a little more ominous. It's a little more, you know, that it's not over like it did last time. And it's, yeah, there's something to it. Matt said, Crypt Keeper. I was thinking the same thing. Give me a Crypt Keeper ending. Give me Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone. That's kind of what this should be. Though a lot of these Night Shift collections really feel like they should be that type of storytelling and that type of format. And I think it would benefit it huge if they did so. But as, as part of the ending, yeah, I like this one better than just jumping on a boat. It's a great way to jump onto our recommendations. Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give trucks? Adam, you being the most positive one, you go ahead and go, sir. Yeah, well, you know, 
positive, negative on the battery there, and I was definitely tapping my spoon on the negative last time. So am I going to hit the positive this time? No, not really. I like this movie. It quote unquote like this movie more than Maximum Overdrive. I had a less offensive time watching this movie, maybe because I didn't have 30 years of seeing a poster for this one. I didn't even know this thing existed until I was told I had to put it on. Thanks, Garrett. Not bitter at all. Um, but because of that, and because I had no expectations, I was able to roll with the story a little bit better. I liked the characters a little bit better. That, as we talked about, the toy truck, you know, death was just glorious in its execution. The chemical hazmat suit doing its thing was just, it, it's wacky and out there. I understand people's affinity for maximum overdrive, but watching it by myself without a crowd of people to MST3K it, that thing really didn't work for me. This is not a good movie. However, it was a more watchable experience. I was less offended by this than I was last week. If that gives it higher, that's what it is. But I think I'm going to rate this the same. I can't say that it's very good. I can't say that it's good at all. None of these are getting rewashed, but if you're going to sit there and Paul Sheldon me in bed and make me watch one of them, I'm watching this one before I watch Maximum Overdrive again. So, yeah, it's still a three for me, though. Three out of ten for Mr. Bunch. Goudreau, you sound more like Adam did last week during this podcast. Uh, how are you feeling about trucks? It's so funny that I felt like Adam was taking a different detour, but almost he took the same exit as me because I have the same score written of a 3 on 10. And, and the reason why I didn't go lower is because Stephen King's The Shining exists. And I had to be honest with myself, as much as I did not enjoy watching this whatsoever, I give it a certain amount of, I don't want to say a pass, but leniency, considering it was a made-for-TV movie, adapting subpar material, in my personal opinion. Whereas The Shining adapted, or, or I should say tried to reinterpret, a book that I like and a Kubrick movie that I love. Here, the, the skill is not here, the budget is not here, the acting is not here, and the writing is damn sure not here, to really capitalize this or make it its fullest potential. I just think such a limited premise, and it's also been done better in other siege movies with horror, whether it's Night of the Living Dead, hell, we'll talk about The Mist when I turn 50, but it's not something I can bring myself to utterly despise or say it's one of the worst things I've ever had to watch, because like I said, there, there are certain parameters and certain scales that you have to balance when we talk about these movies. And I know some of the stuff that's coming up in the world of Stephen King that I've seen that I do think is worse than this. So my three is largely based on what it's adapting, first of all, and B, the combination of being made for TV as well as knowing what's to come. So I landed on a three, but th this was not a fun 90-plus minutes outside of two or three scenes, which really don't belong in the grand scheme of this movie. All right. So we have two threes. I'll up at one. I'll go four. I think this movie, and we talked about this at the beginning of this podcast, but I think a lot of the fun of last week's movie is – how much you know of the behind the scenes of it. And the three of us had a lot of fun, no matter if we liked the movie or not, discussing how coked out Stephen King was when he directed that movie. And with the exception of one DP's eyes getting taken out, there was a lot of fun to talk about the behind the scenes of that movie. Here, there's no fun to be had, with the exception of the two added scenes. And the reason why it's getting a four is two points each for both of those scenes. Those scenes are so ridiculous that they belong in something, as you said, Matt, that's not this movie. A lot of it's drawl, a lot of it's drab, and for a 90-minute movie, for me, 
You know, I had more fun watching last week's 90-minute movie than I did watching this week's. I felt like Adam did last week, where it was just kind of dragging in some points. Story, none of the characters I liked any more this week than I did last week. But if you like craziness, those two scenes are the ones to check out. Again, I think they're both on YouTube. Definitely check those out. But don't check this movie out as a whole. Four out of ten for me on trucks. All right, boys. Another story from Night Shift is done. Next week, we go to the next one. Sometimes they come back. Now, I'll go to the one who's read the book first. Matt, what are you expecting next week when we discuss Sometimes They Come Back? It's first time viewing, so quite frankly, I hope it's better than this. I think the story is considerably better from that collection. But knowing that there's three of these goddamn movies, I guess I should say be careful what I wish for, considering there's 11 Children of the Corn films. But I will go in optimistic, because I'm trying to leave my pessimism in this car or in this truck and do like Norman Bates in Psycho, where I just bury it at the bottom of a lake and hopefully never see it again. All right, Adam. As the one who hasn't read the book, what are you expecting next week when we discuss Sometimes They Come Back? Probably for Adam to be upset about being on a Stephen King podcast. No. Uh, I honestly have no clue. I don't know what it's about. I don't know the book. I don't know the movie. Is there a TV movie we got to watch after this as well? I have no idea what we're in for, what I'm in for. No knowledge of this one whatsoever. Well, I will say the first one is a TV movie, and the next two are directed video movies. So, <laughs> Oh, that's a great sign. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific sign. I saw this one time when it was aired because of Stephen King's name, and there's a whole bunch of circumstances surrounding that, which we'll get to when we discuss next week's movie. But, you know, we have the director of Jason Lives, Matt. He's back in our sights after our Friday the 13th series that we did for Ben. I don't you know, hate that I, Jason movie. I don't really remember too much about it, and I don't even think I've seen the two sequels. All right, so until next week, when we discuss Sometimes They Come Back, this podcast just called me an asshole. Thank you, boys. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you, don't you go walking away from me like that. You come back here, girl. You come back here and listen to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. You want a war? You got one. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Oh my god. And if you'd like to hear the boys talk about the film adaptations of Carrie and The Shining please head over to www.bingemedia.net and click the Aftertaste tab. You can't! We made you! The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Bailey, come here and look at these fools! Edited by Garrett. I ain't never seen a hero with his ass in the air like that. Voiceovers by Adam. No, you don't! They'll bang up on us and squash us! And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps others 
find and discover our podcasts. Little peep business take care of something you wouldn't understand. The Three Men and a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. Because uh, I don't know if I have enough brain cells left after I watch trucks. <laughs> not, not to preview my thoughts too much, but I opened a beer before we started recording. <laughs> We cut to two more people who are here for the exposition, or I'm sorry, the expedition. <laughs> interesting, no, multiply, multiply. interesting Freudian slip there. Let's, let's let's say that again. So we cut to two more people who are here for the expedition. We had a scene where someone was killed by a toy Tonka truck. I don't think revealing the aliens would have come out would have been the most shocking thing on the planet. Sorry, Jen, just Next. <laughs> I'm getting there. I, Jen just came home. So more theories but, about yeah. your – go ahead. Red light, red light, bitch. <laughs> All right, boys. Another story from Trucks is done – or I'm sorry, another story from Night Shift is done. 